This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. everybody to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. I, before I get started, guys, I just want to try something real quick. ChatGPT, edit my intro to take out Kara because she's no longer a host. Okay, it didn't work yet. We're not there yet. All right. I was just hoping. I had to try. I don't have enough time to do that. But for those of you who don't know, Kara is no longer my co-host only because she has this super big important role with CCRBC now and she's got way too many things on her plate. So we'll miss her. But uh, that was the reason. It apparently wasn't because she didn't like me enough. Or maybe she does not. That is a thing with a lot of people, so it's possible. But uh, super excited to be here for our first week episode again. We're welcoming back some of our recurring guests, Christine Taylor from the Town Law Firm, Sandy Ellingson, Mike Harrison from CRR Hospitality. Sandy, what is the name of your company? Like, you need to put a dash there. SandyEllingson.com. That's, oh. that's the name of the company. And that's, yeah. I feel like that would be easier if we all just called our companies that. I know. That Mike and cool. What do you think, Mike? Sierra Hospitality renamed to Harrison Hospitality, Inc.? I don't think anybody would stay with us. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Certainly more than they would stay with me. All right. What do we got on our plates here for the last month? What's been happening in outdoor hospitality? We've had a big, huge July 4th holiday. How did occupancy go, Mike, at your properties? And Sandy, obviously, probably touch on this. And Christine, we were talking about your park, too. So everybody can jump in. Remember, most of our parks are... Arizona, apparently. Uh, what are you saying? They're not patriotic down there, Mike? Oh, we're very patriotic. We had slow rolls, flag, but we also had record temperatures of 108 degrees. So our July 4th, it is, it's here summer to summer. It's not a busy holiday like what's saying thing up north. It, it was hot. Yeah, I have seen that, and I'm relatively enjoying Canada right now. So feel free to come visit, Mike, if you want to. I think uh, they said that. Monday was like the world record for heat. Like, Tuesday was even hotter. I did read that on CNN this morning. You know, the entire planet was the average hotter. temperature of the whole world. Yeah, it was 17 degrees Celsius or something. 17.1 on Monday and 17.6 on Tuesday. So, yeah, it was even really hot up here, which has brought with it some insane thunderstorms. So, that's been interesting. That's yeah. very pleasant here. We yeah. were, again, the invitation is open to everyone. It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, so. Google. Oh, yes, I forgot. I seem yes. blessed with having a husband in Canada, right? For family in Canada? Yeah, both. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. We up the top half, the Brian Sirtles and the Christines on the top. We <laughs> operate on what the rest of the world does, and then there's America. Yes, it's America's hat, if you will. And, so. I'm going to chart your own path, but. 17 Celsius is what, about, I don't know, 60? Something like that? Yeah. So I have heard some of the conversations about trying to do the analysis on the 4th of July occupancy and factoring in different variances because it was off from what last year, obviously. It was no. a little bit lower than what was expected. 
but they felt again, the weather was a big deal. We had really bad weather across a significant section of the East over the holiday weekend that people talked and talked about in advance. And so people were canceling or changing their dates in advance. The holiday fell in the middle of the week. So there wasn't a clear hot 4th of July weekend for people. And then the heat, it, other than just storms, but the heat was a significant factor. A lot of parks that normally would have been sold out 100% still had occupancy. Do we really think that this is, and I'm just asking them playing devil's advocate, or I'm not saying I believe this, but let's just play devil's advocate because it's very easy to make an excuse forever perpetually that something happened because it wasn't right. And I understand those are all valid reasons and I'm not suggesting that they're not true, but it's very easy to continue that discussion forever and just continue making excuses as to why parks aren't full. And I think there's could be a danger in that if one day it becomes not true. Sure. But I would say for the fourth in general, that one's notoriously not as full as the other holiday weekend. I'd okay. Memorial Day and Labor Day, even in the years that like I grew up in it, were always quicker to be sold out than fourth of July. Because they're always attached to a weekend, like Sandy was saying. So that makes sense. They always, whereas she's right, this midweek one, our campground, if you looked at like a four or five day stretch, you would say we were sold out. No one could have stayed there, come in and stayed like for that whole period. Before, some people come in on Friday, some people come in on Saturday, some people come in on Sunday. So it would, they instead of them all coming in on like Friday and leaving on Tuesday, right. like, like very spread out. My husband had to work on Monday. So we had a lot of people who were still there just for a regular camping weekend. Your husband is in, your husband's in Canada? No, he's here. And the, oh. the Monday wasn't the holiday. They, so Monday up here was a holiday. That's why I was asking. Because Canada yeah, Day was Saturday. And we're all going to tap it off. Yeah. Yeah. Canada Day was it? Canada Day was Saturday. was Saturday, but the federal holiday that we had, like all of our holidays are on Mondays. Oh, Almost okay. every single one of them. So let us have a long weekend. We have one long weekend, like literally almost every month. But that's the problem in the U.S. with the 4th of July is since it moves every year yeah. in years like this, when it's in the middle of the week, if you don't get, if you only get off the 4th and you didn't want to take that as a vacation day. So we had a lot of people who treated this past weekend like a regular weekend, came in on Friday, left on Sunday. If you get some of the bigger indicators, camp spot sent out there monthly. Transport it. And basically, they were they saw a softening of course in occupancy for the rest of the year and then uptake in ADR. However, for June, they saw that the same park bookings, while it was down in April and May, was up four percent. And July and August improved by about a hundred tips, also. And then the four before is stable. It hasn't been that continued. Woe is me. We're all going to die. I don't know if I did. I ever see it. I don't know if that was ever my. But I, I think, but that's been some of the talk is all oh, yeah, yeah. the record, you know, except, except the other thing that just came out this week also was the U.S. consumer confidence spiked in June from a obviously it was low kind of just near the end of 2022, and it was almost 80 in June, which I guess love 80 is indicative of. That's fascinating to me, right? And I don't want to get into a discussion about consumer confidence, but why? What in the world happened to make people be like, yes, let's just go spend more money and we're confident now? I'm certainly not an economist, but I think gas prices stabilized considerably over the last three or four or five months, right? I think that's right, but that wasn't a June thing is what I meant, or a May thing. But I think it's taken that long for people to get their shivers away. I think inflation has certainly, there was a continued spike and it has softened in terms of the progressive growth that it has been. So I, I think 
the Fed, the interest rates had gone up and up and up and up. And then obviously we saw this in the housing industry and our other businesses went down a point. Q2, one was the halls were empty. Q2 was great. That one point reduction in, in the interest rate was considerable. But I think there's a lot of indicators of why. Does that mean everybody's out of the woods? No. Does that mean you stay forever? No. But I think the fire drill nature of it has softened. I think it's a, again, I'm not going to take this down this path, right? But I think it's just a fascinating discussion because I think the whole problem with this economy right now is that the people with the investment banks and CNBC and everywhere else are saying like, the Fed is going to pause. The Fed is going to pause. They're going to cut rates at the end of the year. And the Fed is, no, you guys are idiots. We're not doing that. And no one is listening. And that's just delaying the inevitable. It's causing consumers to continue spending and businesses to put off layoffs. And I think when they finally realize that the Fed is serious, we're in a whole heap of trouble. Not in closing, but. Because none of our investors are saying that. We're, we're oh, yeah. I think it's the small businesses. Like the, you know, the even our know what's coming. Our partners and the bank, same things. We're, uh, I haven't heard anybody say that really it's the end of the year is great. I continually hear that on CNBC, but you're right. Like the people that you but that's what the consumer is listening to. And that's what small business owners are listening to. And so I understand what you're saying. You're. I agree with you 100%. The banks and everybody else who are in this every day are not saying that. But Main Street hasn't gotten the message yet, I don't think. So anyway, we don't want to take it down like that. Sorry. Fair enough. But you yes, because I'm not an economist and I'll say something stupid. I probably already have said 10 things stupid. But so what else? So July 4th, let's go back to that discussion real quick. Sandy, Christine, Christine, what did you see at your park? And congratulations, by the way. I'm very happy. That's fine. it's Honestly, both personally and other clients and things like that, more of the same. Legally, some of the similar things. There's some more litigious people out there trying to do what I call like the 5K slip and falls and stuff like that. I've seen that. There's somewhat an undercurrent of gruffulness in some people who would poke at things they had before. I've had a lot of guest removal issues countrywide. People have guests that were problematic that they've had to remove or their belongings, like some abandoned campers. So the trend that I've seen over the last few years has continued. We have more employment lawsuits. What I guess would be the newest thing is that I'd say that governments had been pretty busy and backlogged during 2020. So now if they had felt that they weren't being paid correctly or they hadn't been doing their inspections of your property, I have a lot of people who newly got hit with fines in their various states because they have finally caught up on their paperwork and inspection. So I have a lot of people contending with different states right now, either for failing to pay or renew or inspect or a whole host of things. I feel like the governments have finally caught up on their backlog and now are investigating those things they have been ignoring for the last three years. I don't yeah. think that's fair, right? If we can pause student loans, we should be able to pause all penalties for businesses for a couple of years. I would think so, but unfortunately there's no, there's no precedent for it. So unless somebody's willing to litigate about the same, which most people don't want to, we're just stuck with what we got. Something you said, Christine, really kind of sparked my interest because for the first time this year, I'm working with a lot of parks in the north. 
And so I'm learning a lot from some of these parks that might be just seasonal. They're only open part of the year, but they allow people to leave their rigs year round. Or a lot of parks that are long-term stay that are now trying to ship to transient, which I've always worked with, but it feels like the numbers are bigger. But one of the things that's interesting is back in 2007, when the economy crashed, a lot of people who were into mobile home parks got left where people abandoned their rigs and it cost them a lot of money to try and move them. And that's when they kind of went into the RV park industry with long-term stay because the idea was you were safer because they had wheels and you could get them off. But a couple of the things I've been seeing recently is exactly what you said is I've been seeing parks that have really been left with these old rigs because they've allowed them to come in and sit there either seasonally or long-term. And then the person just abandons it. And not only do they not tell you they're leaving, they leave all of their junk. And so it's still costing them $2,500 to haul it off, to get rid of it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering if I'm seeing that increasing, I'm wondering if it's an increasing trend already. I mean, if more parks are seeing that and there's something we should be doing proactively to try to... Okay, I think we need, to be clear, we want to dive into this topic in a second. I think we need a show, like they have the Storage Wars show, right? Where you just auction off, you don't know what's in it and it's closed. Like you just need to have people show up and bid on the closed trailer and well, say you can so different states actually have the ability to do that. So in New York, for example, if you get all the way to that part of the process, they allow you to use the lean log, maybe just short, that eventually lets you auction off their camper to cover any feeds they owe you for. But okay. this is a twofold issue. One, the process sucks. I'm going to be honest. Unlike a storage unit, because it's a, it's a vehicle, motor vehicle, depending, you have to do a lot of lean searches and you have to notice people. But with the newer camper, there's chance they still owe money on it. And we'd have to notice the bank first because they'd get first give. And then if it's an older camper, it might not be worth it. It's not worth the process to go through it. So, yes. We got That's why you don't tell them what's inside it, right? Like it could be, we heard that he was an ancient Egyptian historian, archaeologist, and there could be untold treasure. Well, there. That's right. But it, it, Whatever you want to do. Indiana Jones. Hey. That's where he went, and he probably got lost in a cave somewhere, and that's why he didn't come back. I've had yeah. two, two instances where a rig sat in a park for a month, and guests kept complaining about the smell. <laughs> they actually found the man in there murdered by his wife. That was a very interesting situation. What and then we also had... For, Sandy? <laughs> hey, this is a really great park. Uh, owner owns four parts, but uh, but this was a crazy work camper. She told everybody that she had, her and her husband had to go back to Texas to take care of a sick family member and that they were leaving the rig, but they'd be back. She made phone calls every week to check in. The whole time she had dismembered him and put him in the shower. You see how much uh, value we bring to you, Mike, while you could be doing real work? Yeah. And the second one was we literally had a manager that had a heart attack and died in his rig. And because mm. he was the only person working on property, it took a week for somebody to actually say, hey, because it was a long-term stay park. Yeah. To say, we haven't seen the manager in a while. And nobody had reported him. And it was pretty sad. But I was wondering, one of the things I suggested in just the conversation was that 
if you put in a lot of parts to say you can't come unless your rig is less than 10 years old. But then what if you put in, if you wanted to do that, then it had to pass an annual inspection. And you put those things in there like the tires had to be good. They couldn't be rotted. If it were a drivable, it had to be able to be cranked and moved. Those kind of things. Because already a lot Who would do the inspection is my question. Would they have to be required to foot the bill themselves? Yeah, I, yeah, I would I'd take his head like, no, that's not going to work. Go ahead. Inspection every year if you want to stay and it covers a bank. And I'm, when I say inspection, I'm just saying you take a look at it and you go, this thing is probably still roadworthy. We're okay. Or it, campers aren't complaining about it. It doesn't make us look like a park that, you know, that where nobody wants to come. This is where trailers come to die. So anyway, I don't know. I just, I think it's an intriguing conversation. And I always like to be proactive because right now, if it's starting to happen, we're being reactive. And how do we change that reactive to proactive? Because that people are abandoning skyscrapers in San Francisco that are worth billions of dollars and not paying those mortgages. So maybe this is just a trend. Yeah. For the most part, the ones I've seen are older units. They're not units. The bank will come looking for it somehow if it money is gone. But definitely a lot of older rig and a lot of older people who have parked those rigs there and have no way of moving them. They don't own the truck to tow it with anymore. I want to know why Mike was shaking his head. It's not worth it. Everybody's different. Right. For us, us get 400 something sites parked. Who's going to be in the administration inspecting all 400 sites, the paperwork, and then there's got to be some kind of air fair housing, how do you unilaterally administer the policy on what that? So for me, I just think I look at the administrative burden that would is that with you mentioned proactivity, Sandy. I think for our approach, and again, we're a little bit different, we're more upscale. Not that we don't have issues, of course we do, but that's also in various instances, of course. But I think you just gotta uphold your rules regulation proactively as opposed to reactively and address those ones. You can tell typically which ones are going to be problem. hopefully eject rather than fix before they become a problem that's how it's going to grow i wouldn't want to for us anyway have to put a whole burden on oh i mean were we looking for a use for that robot dog mike yeah i wouldn't inspect every rig i'd only inspect those that were outside the age limit but and I, do, I feel like people come in at different times, so you would do it on the anniversary of their check-in date, not on January 1st of every year or anything like that. But anyway, I just, my strategic there mind likes bad ideas. Like, we're yeah. just thinking, right? Like, certainly I'm no expert. At the crux of it, I think it might be somewhere in between the two of them. What Mike said is certainly important. You definitely, you don't have those rules first. I'd say that's number one. There's been a movement towards that. There are a lot of people who still have nothing in rent. And if you don't have any rules and people don't know what they are, then enforcing that has all of those issues. The second thing is if the movable RV, such that they have an RBIA sticker and we're claiming that they're an RV for a whole host of reasons, we don't want them to do anything to change the permanency of that structure. So like I've had some campgrounds here when they went to go out to remove something, look find on the outside with the floor must have rotted at one point and the people had their slide out out and redid the floor of the slide outs out such that you couldn't push the slide out in anymore and then it was no longer tellable i should see why you would want to inspect the notch kind of thing or bolting the deck to 
Google the camper. As long as you have clear rules about that, so that's not happening. Such that they remain fallible, it shouldn't be that big an issue. And you're right, Brian, when you said something, Sandy, about the bank coming to look for it. I've had a couple of people whose campers have been repossessed. I think this is somewhat showing what happened and what's changing with the economy, what we were talking about. A lot of people bought campers when they, that was the only mode of vacationing at the time. And some people cut campers that they probably couldn't afford. Maybe their financial situation has changed, but. I have to be honest, I had never really had to walk a campground through a repossession of a seasonal tamper. And now I've got a couple of them in the last 18 months or so. So I think there's a little tip to go there. But really the crux of any operation is to have rules and guidelines and be very transparent about them and enforce them equally. And I appreciate that you want to be proactive, Sandy, but besides the administrative burden, Mike briefly talked about the legalities of it. Hard, and I'm sure it would open up to why is Sally's camper okay? Mine looks the same just because you don't like males or whatever it is. You just need to get in there, right? So, what if you just call the FBI and report you saw a most wanted fugitive and they bust down the door and then you can get in? You never know. That is the way, but I try to stay as away from people units as possible because I don't want to expose myself to any more liability. So as long as from the outward view, I can see that everything's okay, such that if I had to show them off the property, I could, that would be my baseline. But if you didn't have agreement or rules in place, you really got to. I think that a lot of these people are, this is the reactive piece, wishing that they had something, especially if they're in a state. After it happens to you the first time. Yeah. Especially in your state that doesn't have a statute. Some states have really clear statutes about campgrounds. And what to do with them in the Northeast and other places, and some places don't. And if you're in a state that doesn't have anything in the law about campgrounds, you better hope you got your paperwork. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to prove that you're okay and you're in the right. So I think the more proactive for approach is to make sure their staff is trained correctly and your paperwork's in order. And that's the movement I've been trying to shove people. And it's tough, right? Like it's tough as a small business owner to foresee absolutely every potential thing that could possibly happen and have paperwork for it. Sure. In some ways, you don't need all that anyway. It, that's part of yeah. the pushback too, is that if I tried to cover every situation for you, it would be insane. And I know there are some attorneys that do that. I read an, a waiver that another attorney had made for our campground. And I was curious, so I like copied and pasted all into a Word document to see how long it really was once it was off this website. And it was 15 pages long. And that was just a waiver and release. Like, but that was one of many documents I gave you. You would never want to come. Like, you would be like, that's crazy. I don't sign that to have surgery. Absolutely understand that there is a fine line between uh, protecting yourself and operational standards. Right. do better. It's never going to be ironclad or the best if you actually want to have guests come to your campground. So I am aware of that. Yeah. All right. What else do we have that's not legal and sad and depressing? It's not always so depressing. I know. So I'm, I'm working on something that's really fun. And you're going to tell us, or you're just going to tease yeah, us? And it's nothing that's making me money, so it's not an advertisement. But looking at forming some awards that can be given out each year for all, for multiple areas of the industry as innovators. And it's coming out of the first innovator summit that we had in Elkhart. But 
finding campgrounds that are being innovative in some new way, and then being able to individuals be able to say, I want to put them up for entry. Is using an AI chatbot count? Yes, it would too. Yeah, absolutely. So like technology, product, mm -hmm. and then for an, either a supplier, OEM kind of person, like who is, as a consumer, who do we see being innovative? Not them telling us they're being innovative, but oh, having the consumer tell them what they're seeing as being innovative and what are the things that they're already doing versus trying to create this wish list. And it's been really we have too many awards already, though. I do think it, I think it, it's fun. And I think there's a way of gamifying it once you do it, that really makes it fun. Okay. Uh, but I also feel like so many people are doing things that are innovative, but they're doing them in a bubble. And so there's other, like somebody might be creating a really great product, but the campground has no clue what this product is or how it works. And it happens to be going on every RV. They need to know about that. Or the manufacturers are coming up with some neat things. And again, the campground may not know about it. So how do they prepare for that? So I just think being able to share the areas where we're innovating and who's being innovative and doing what, and in, again, a proactive way, really makes it interesting. So we've got... I like, I like that almost more from an industry-to-industry, peer-to-peer standpoint, though, than involving the consumers. We're, we've already started at peer-to-peer. And so we're meeting twice a year now and pe different people are being invited to be a part of the group as it grows. But then there becomes the consumer part of it. Do we need to add a piece to that where they no. actually can, re maybe they see something we don't see. Maybe, but if it's just innovation, I don't think the consumer is necessary. What do you think, Mike? The consumer won't know. Okay. More than Whether it's innovative or not. No, they're not going to know until it's done. And even then, it would probably take two, three or four years for consumer adoption. I like, first of all, and this is not a call for me to do everything Sandy says. But the third time Sandy said something. We love Sandy. Else. He's got so many good ideas. We just got to pick and choose. But I mean, it's an amazing idea. So we're just talking about approach, right? So I think it's an amazing idea. I'd love to share it. Yeah, innovation, cloud regions, how this industry plays. I think it's awesome. I think, Brian, your point is a salient one, solid one, is that it's, I think it's for the partners as opposed to the consumer that can share it. And some of that's proprietary in nature, of course, but the best practice is, I believe, rising tide raises all ships. And we've got to continue to put it forward. And I think that's as we, like you've heard me say this, there's 40 different book sites you got to go into for an RD search. Boy, for a consumer, you're going to four. And so I think a lot of these things fall into that category as well, but I love the idea. I will say from my perspective, right? Like the problem with, if you look at the industry awards and we're not going to pick on anything specific, right? But the places where a campground gets an award from a peer, I think a big part of that process problem in almost every instance, and there are exceptions that do it differently, is that you can nominate yourself. And then there are so few people who actually nominate themselves that it ends up either being the same park every year or whatever else. And then the judgment is done by four or five people. And then you get like best website of the year and it looks like everyone else's website. There needs to be some kind of criteria here to where an award actually means something to where the association, if you're giving out awards, they're going out and looking for these people and going, and they're not letting people self-nominate. 
this is, I don't know. And maybe that's not a big, as big of a problem as I see, but I don't know. Like I was told for seven years in a row, I would win supplier of the year if I just nominated myself and I refused. I'm not interested in nominating myself. Well, Do you think I'm good? Let me know. Which one you might be nominated for? I, but that's the thing, right? And that's how it works. Like, uh, but well, that, that, kind of, that kind of built Sandy's point, though, that there's more authenticity. Authenticity if a consumer votes for it. But, and I agree, like, I think there is a lot of value. That's why I'm bringing this up. I think there's a lot of value in the peer to peer aspect of it, but I think the peer to peer aspect needs to focus more on really deep diving as a committee or a board or a group or whoever's in charge of it, instead of letting everybody else come to them. So I think, again, I'm very much saying that it's a good idea, Sandy. And that's kind of why I like the idea of it being focused around being an innovator, because there's a very clear definition of what we're looking at and what qualifies as an innovator for each of the different categories. And so it's not just like best website, because you can have a terrible website win because nobody knows what is, if there is no real best website out there, then the lowest common denominator wins. But Innovator means you've got to be doing something that nobody else is doing or nobody has done in the industry already way already or doing something new in a creative way. And and I think those things are inspiring. And to what Mike said, we just kind of raise everybody up when we talk about innovative things. So what is the I'm curious, what is the incentive for this? And I know you don't you may not have an answer yet, but let's I'm just curious. Because I think some of the other issue why people don't really necessarily go in droves to nominate other parks is what is the incentive when the park wins? I get a little badge on my website that says X association or X company says I'm the best campground in the world. I'm number one in USA's today's 10 best or whatever, right? But does that really mean anything? Did millions of people really vote? It does. No, I know it means something from a marketing perspective. Absolutely. But does it really mean something to the park? other than that increased visibility for business. Which is probably enough. Well, but, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about consumer awards, to be clear. I'm talking about the peer to peer right now. The industry. Asking, from an owner standpoint and a manager standpoint. Yeah. Yes. standpoint. Yes. It's something to be proud of. It's something to accomplish with. It's something that you can market. It's no different than in school. I know it's not very basic, but whether you got a gold star or you were student of the month, any opportunity that you had, you got a sticker. Okay. Makes you, it, it's proof that the work that you've done paid off, right? What, no matter who's technology. Now, again, if the organization is the trash collectors of the U.S. RV Camping Awards, maybe it doesn't have a lot of validity. But if an industry professional like Sandy puts it up and there's validity in it, then of course, absolutely has value. 100%. Okay. Yeah. And I think it, it saves us all time and money. And I think it, when we are in business, we want to run lean operations. We all want to be profitable. Our resources often are challenged, especially in today's economy. And so when we can innovate together and a great example of this, and it's been going on for years is, and it just drives me nuts because there's already an answer, but people aren't talking to each other is the whole charging of an electric car thing. Oh my goodness, that has been around the parks forever. What do we do? When do we do it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Oh, it's okay to let them charge their car at the 50 amp post. No, it's not. It's just so many things. And it had 
when these, if we're working and we're watching for what's going on and we say, hey, there are a lot of people who are towing electric cars behind their driving bolts. Maybe we need to figure that out. And then we worked on it together as an industry. We've got three of your major OEMs now that have, they are working on a project, fully autonomous electric drivable vehicles. They're working on the integration between an electric car and, an, and a towable. But the parks don't know anything about that. And while some of it is shrouded under confidentiality, enough of it is not that the conversation should still be had. But even if the parks know about this, so I think this is maybe another issue that we were talking about. And so I, ta I saw a Facebook post in perhaps a group that we might be broadcasting live in right now, but there's 13 of them, so we won't, we'll leave it unnamed. But where somebody said, I've gotten totally fed up with electric campers, car cars, so we're just going to ban all electric cars. They can't come into us anymore because we're tired of people. And so I feel like how many years have now, has the industry been talking at conferences about the importance of electric cars and charging stations? And you've heard on the news that electric cars are coming and Tesla and everything else. And yet there's still people who are like, we just don't think electric cars are a thing. It's a fad. We're going to ban them all from our campground. So I don't know how we solve that. You can get the communication down and certainly organizations like KOA are doing a great job of that, but I don't know if communication is the only thing we need. How do we get the duh part about it to some people? Yeah. Like it's coming and it's it, like, you might not like it, but it's fact. Right. Like, why would you ever kick electric people and sorry to the person? Look, I just don't understand that. They don't like electric cars because they don't know how to deal with it. And right. so it's a Education issue, and if you're innovating in advance together, and then you're providing the solution, we never get to that point because the EV charging for cars provides two things to parts. One, it provides an ancillary revenue stream. There's three different ways you can do it, and then it also provides another marketing opportunity because once you have an EV charging station, you're on their map. And so somebody who may or may not even be an RV or could stop at your park, you can sell them a cup of coffee or something to eat out in your store while they're charging, right? But then they might go, wow, I saw that cabin. I think I'd like to come back and stay here sometime. So it's that passive marketing that we can do without having to pay for it. But how do we get a hold of these parks and communicate this message more than we're already doing? It's in Woodalls. It's in Modern Campground. It's at Arvik. It's at KOA. It's on our show. It's Sandy's talking about it. And Mike's talking about it and everybody, but they're still not either hearing the message or they're not understanding it. And I don't know, like it's important and the innovation awards and thoughts and things would certainly help with that. But I don't know what the answer is because I feel like, and I'm not trying to actually criticize that person. I feel bad because they're going to lose business. So I think, and I don't need to get all technical here. I don't know if you've ever heard of a law of innovation. Familiar with Simon Sinek, he really promotes that scientific study. There's two and a half percent of the innovators, 13 and a half percent of the early adopters, 44 percent are the early majority, 34 percent late majority, and then 16 percent of the laggards, right? Brian, you're clearly an innovator, right? AI, you can try everything until it breaks. I don't care if nobody's done. I'm going to do it no matter what. And there's the early adopters. That's, that's it. We are still not in the early majority. I don't even know that we're in the adopters. Right. So until yeah. there's kind of a tipping point. And then the laggards, Simon Sinek says, they're the people that the only reason they don't have a road to start anymore is because they have to make it. Right. 
and it's always going to be those get off my lawn people. But as far as the EV goes, until there's a point where it gets the early majority, there's not going to be an adoption of this until you see those electric charges are off of it. Until right, you see right. enough charging stations to get 1,500 miles from Texas to California and you can map it out, it's going to be this. So you just, it's time. So the continued discussion, you innovation, that will and we're taking the same approach, right? In this, we typically, we're the innovators early adopters. We like the front and want to want and stuff. But in EV, for example, we're waiting to the early majority. There's no point in laying out capital infrastructure. There's going to be mistakes. It's going to have to be there's too much that has to happen yet for us to kind of go putting all of these in our parks, laying all the, because it's going to change three or four or five years technology. For sure, yeah. So I don't think really I'm criticizing that aspect of it. And I didn't mean to, if it came across that way, I think I'm just saying like you, it's very easy to understand whether the industry is there or not, or 10 years away or 15 years away that electric vehicles are here and they're rapidly increasing in the amount that they're selling. And you can see that everywhere. So that's the part I don't understand is why you would want to undercut yourself in a market. But that's me. That's a big problem with my personality. I'll admit like I, because I see and read and research so much information every single day that I guess I don't sometimes see how people miss things, but that's definitely my fault. So, right. Yeah. But it's sometimes hard for me to see that. So I'll admit that, right. I have hundred thousand faults and flaws and all that kind of stuff, so, but all right. So what else is going on? We've had a month since we've last seen each other, maybe two months to Christine, right? For me, I caught my toddler's death plague last month, so <laughs> I spared you all that version of myself. Tell us, so let's tell, Christine's on here normally from a law firm perspective to keep me in check because I say crazy things and also to share an insight once or maybe it's the other way around to share insights and then also once in a while keep me in check. But tell us about your campground, Christine. Your family got back in. We were talking about that before the show. Yeah, here we are. So my family bought a campground that's been around for a very long time. And it is about an hour outside of Albany. So up for my law firm, it was Albany. So not too far, but I do feel a little bit like I'm working three jobs currently as I help with the transition. We took over right as it was opening for the season. So I'm sure you all can attest, not the best timing. <laughs> for change and getting a handle on things. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of fixing of stuff to do this winter, but it's been fun and exciting to be back in it. It's awesome. And as I was explaining to one of my law clerks earlier today, fun to see our stuff in action, like literally be there and see how, what we've been telling other clients, how it's working, how it's not working. So it's good to see the adjustment live whether that's paperwork or how we're handling things and stuff like that. And it definitely will make my whole conference circuit a little different than Squall having to deal with it <laughs> firsthand again. It did remind me how both awesome and awful customer service is when you have to see a lot of people all the time. So that's been interesting. It's been fun to buy new products for vendors and try out things that we didn't get to do on our other campground, what was that, like five years ago? Because a lot has changed in the five years. And it's pretty interesting because given where this one is located, we're actually pulling from some of the same kind of guest pool 
that we pulled from the very first campground my parents bought over in that part of New York. So a little bit feels like coming full circle. I actually, as a child, had made some really close friends on my parents' first campground, who I still talk to occasionally on being fuckers text messages. And I reached out to them to be like, hey, remember how we met on a campground when I was nine years old? I know you still live in that area. Would you want to go camping again? Just because it's been nice to come full circle. So lots of positive, but lots of tired and exciting to watch my own child grow up in a campground since that's what I did. So it's fun and exhausting and it has changed a lot. And fun to see what has changed, what still works and what doesn't work anymore. Back when we first had a campground to get kids to do things, I didn't have to compete with technology. For example, there were no smartphones or Wi-Fi or any of that. And now it's very different to see what activities kids are still willing to come through and give up on that kind of technology briefly or what adults are in doing things like that. So it's been really fun. I'm very interested. Mike, can I put you on the spot for a second? It's a softball question, right? Can I put you on the spot for a second? So I'm curious. Sure. So Mike, obviously CRR Hospitality, right? Management company for RV parks, RV resorts, campgrounds, camping resorts, hotels, stuff like that. I'm very curious if you, and then not Christine's park specifically, but if you were hypothetically brought in to manage, improve a park that had such a long storied history, that had that brand name recognition, that had the generational, right? How would you use that to your advantage? And oh, you almost can't craft the story. Right. We focus on experiential hospitality and what are the hospitality business hotels, the room is a room, right? And what you're marketing is marketing location and you're marketing your identity, right? And so you've already got the location, right? That's simple. But then the second part is how do you separate yourself from everybody else is your identity. You got that, that privacy brand, which is what you're describing. Leverage that to the cows come on. That's amazing. Otherwise you have to manufacture and we're going to have a property out middle of the desert in Arizona that we're going to start from the ground up that has no reputation that has no interesting features, nothing unique. It's going to have location. And so it's going to be hard, but location will help it. You've got both. And it sounds like, yeah, leverage that every bit of marketing dollars. Yeah. Unless you don't need to you're full and you got great revenue management, then don't spend a dime. And that's what EPR on that side. Uh, yeah. But it's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's definitely good insight. So I want to, and I always forget, by the way, we're, and I mentioned it on the Facebook post, but we are sponsored by Fireside Accounting, which we're super grateful for for the first week here. And I always forget to put up their banner and whoop, I just clicked it twice. <laughs> we're really grateful for Fireside Accounting and Lindsay Foos and her whole team for sponsoring. And it's one of those things where like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so we've talked about in this show previously, a couple minutes ago, where we've talked about all the different, you don't know that somebody might abandon their trailer. And so you don't know to create that paperwork and you don't know. And so when you talk about accounting, I think the don't knows are probably 150 times as long as maybe not the legal don't knows total, but that's pretty close. Right, Christine? Yeah, I'd say so. I tell all people all the time that I'm not an accountant, so don't ask me accounting questions. I went to law school because I don't like numbers. So find people who know it's okay to have a team of people who are better at things than you are. So yeah, because the yeah. amount of money they're going to save you in deductions, probably far out for sure, probably far outsets the amount that you would pay a firm like that. So if you're in a need for 
accounting services, our sponsor, Lindsay Coos and her team, Fireside Accounting, great people. They run a great, very knowledgeable accounting firm and we're thankful for their support. We've got about 12 minutes left, guys. What else is on, what else has come across your desk or what are you looking forward to the rest of the summer here? In the My, I have a question. I find a trip to your campground doing weekends and stuff like that. And are you trying any kind of new events this summer that you haven't done before? For sure. Again, if you're a Yellowstone park, you know, the amount of marketing you're going to have to do is very different than if you're not the national park location or if you're a Florida park, you know, right? Eat by 90% off the annual, and then you're just gravy on top of it. If you're not one of those locational advantage properties, then yeah, you got to create buzz, you got to create interest, you got to create some marketing opportunities. So we do that all the time. Our big events typically are how to lead, right? Love come during Halloween. We have other small events where it's Bob's Day. Or, but we, you know, we advertise our slow rolls as the holidays, which is a decorates by your golf party. Specials, breakfast with Santa, for sure. Depending on the property, we'll have other larger events. Parking lot at one of our properties. And we're probably looking to maybe like a barber's market on a regular basis there. Leopard's book the notoriety that way. But all of those are marketing opportunities. Backlink opportunities. Brian, to have additional things for your website, customer. Yeah, they're great. Sounds like you and I want to have a call. Don't need to hire us on that big job. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Part of what's been interesting, I've been attending the trade shows for the last five years, but haven't had any reason to buy anything, even though I walk around. And it is interesting for me to see what campgrounds are putting in or not. And the thing around, I don't know if a campground's done it yet, and it let me know. But a lot of campgrounds have hired firework companies with hats for the 4th of July. And there was this whole discussion I was reading on this, like, community page about the movement towards drones instead of firework drone shows. And I was like, oh, yeah. I wish they would be pretty cool, and then your community wouldn't be strapped. So It had a really huge drone show at the Calgary Stampede last year that was awesome. It was amazing. But also, fireworks, yeah. Chris Hipple's not on the call. He would cringe like I just did. Fireworks are terrible for your insurance policy. Oh, absolutely right. But it's not just that. There are many other municipalities that have migrated towards the drone shows now. It's more eco-friendly and that's important. Long-term, it's cost-effective, safer in terms of fire risk. Drone show. I just what if you accidentally it? set off a firework near the trailer that needs moved? Anyone... There you go. Mm -hmm. so if anyone here to the campground doing it, I want to know because I'm very curious how that works in a kind of a smaller setting, not a whole the city or not giant municipality. So that's that's one that's on my radar. What is happening with you, Sandy, down there? Like, just there was a lot, just a little gnat that just kept flying by. I kept trying to ignore it, but it was not allowing me to ignore it. So what else is going on in your world, Sandy? What are you excited about for the rest of the summer? I am excited about figuring out, and it's funny what you were talking about, the thing weekends with a lot of the heat and things like mm -hmm. that, trying to encourage people to keep camping in the heat. And we're trying to adopt some of the things that some of the northern campgrounds, campgrounds do in the south by theming up some of the weekends to encourage people to get out and still camp. So we're doing some of the phone parties and we're doing... Literally, I don't know if any of you have ever seen, but they have these pop-up splash pads now that you can rent or buy. 
which okay. for some of my older campgrounds that they're almost landlocked. It's not like they have a spot they could really build one even. They, we've been using some of them. So coming up with some of those fun weekend kind of things. And then we're bundling them together. So you pay for the weekend. You don't pay per night and that kind of thing. It's, if you want to come to this event, you, it's the it's a weekend. It includes four people and everything is included. And that has been really surprisingly successful. And we're actually marketing it to guests who've already been there. So we're not even out trying to reach at this point guests that have never been because we have enough to pull from in our own, in the databases to pull those in. So that's been fun. And then the other thing I'm super getting into lately is the idea of agritourism. I actually started working with a park in central Florida that's licensed for agritourism. And I'd never done anything like that. And it is unbelievable how many people come from northern states that have never seen a cow, never seen a goat. It just, and these kids are just having so much fun. And people are spending a lot of money to fly to these campgrounds for agritourism. So that's another one of the things I'm really excited about. If you, there, there is a park in Central Florida. If you Google Central Florida and agritourism, you'll find it. So I won't promote their name necessarily, but everybody you she gets to say the around. name. You already basically told everybody to go do it. What is the name? I don't want to feel like I'm playing favorites, but we'll you are playing favorites. You just did say the name. Come on. Starby Resort is the name of it. And one, his pro he, there are multiple ponds on the property, but he's got longhorn cows. Uh, is, is Mike's Googling it right now. He needs to know the name. Yeah. Wilderness Shores RV Resort. You had from those search criteria, Eva Falls for every young just said that come up. Now, no, Shiva. Well, Kyle Falls is a very nice resort. I've been there. Used to be a KOA. Anyway, sorry. Everybody's Googling it. Yeah, and they do great on hip camp, by the way. But anyway, you know what? It's weird. Their website's not showing up when you Google it. Feel free to have them give I, me a call, Sandy. I figure that out. But anyway, their mascot is Ferdinand the Bull. And he has, from tip to tip, his horns are like 78 inches. There's about 40 of these. And they do the cattle drive twice a day. And they have a... a they pull a trailer with the little kids get on the back. They get to throw the treats out and they are calling the cows and they think the cows are following them because they're calling them. It's totally awesome. Actually, I don't want to, I want to let you finish, but this is actually another, you could put a red flag on the abandoned trailer and let the down. Exactly. But that was, they just do a lot of neat things and they only have about 20 RV sites that are hooked up and then they have Several sites that have power, but not hookups, just regular power and water, but they have unlimited tent camping sites. And it's, we went tent camping again for the first time just to try it out. And we had so much fun. I was almost ready to sell my rig and just tent camp. No, you weren't. Come on. Oh, yeah, it was that much fun. No. So, but we had some near encounters with alligators and we got chased by the cows and I ended up with a goat in the tent with me one night because she kept squeezing out and finding me. And that does not sound like amazing. fun. It was amazing. It does not sound so, like And all these little kids who are like, for me, growing up in the South, I've seen a cow, I've seen a goat, I've seen pigs, no big deal. But for them, it's running into something they've never seen. They've only seen in books. And so it's amazing. And they do education too, of course, while they're doing this, which is the big 
a big cool thing about agritourism. Christine, I have a question for you. Just so we're in, and to be clear, before you answer, the show is 100% private. We're not broadcasting live. No one's seen <laughs> it. If you did sign, if you did have someone sign a waiver for a random bull running around the campground, or you did have them sign a waiver that they knew fireworks were going to be set off, is that a loophole for abandoned trailers? No. Good <laughs> try. Here's the thing is, just generally people should know that because uh, there's a waiver or release doesn't mean they'll stop the person from suing you. It just means they have a document. Well, if they abandon their trailer and you can't find them, then how are they going to sue you? You're yeah, right. But then you're, you wouldn't. Come get your trailer. We know where you are. The non-legal if they're not coming back from their trailer, then it probably doesn't matter what happens. Yeah, it. see? Yeah. But the non <laughs> Yeah. Jason said do an outrun the gator weekend. I like that idea. I refused right, to sleep along the edge of the one of the ponds for that reason because I was afraid I was gonna have to outrun a gator. I gotta say that is a lot and they but guess they would be on notice of the risk of having their camper where there was a bunch of wild animals. So yeah, so as long as you think there is not a legal solution for that. So I would not recommend that. I don't think your insurance company was enjoying hearing about you doing that. I, I would probably pass it on that. Yeah. We like the idea, Jason, but the attorney poo-pooed it. Sorry. Creative and creative of problem solving, but probably not legal problem solving. All right. So we might or might not have a solution. It's just not legal. Yeah. Makes sense. So you never heard it here on this private show it's not being broadcast anywhere all right one minute left anybody have any final parting thoughts besides mike wondering why he's giving an hour of his week to spend it with me oh i just right that's literally the only reason he shows up is you and christine at sandy just innovated jason gossett just posted up on the chat that there's the outrun the game of weekend but they're your event christine we come full circle we Christine's looking for This is perfect. I, I, feel like... I cannot wait. I can only imagine. A lot of gators in New York, right? There's absolutely a speech for principle, but I feel like that's a shoe in for an idea. So exciting. I could maybe dress people up in gator costs. Try. We have a gator mitigation budget for our property in South Carolina. <laughs> I can't wait to see what July brings now. So. When we reconvene in August, I can't wait to hear about how this idea really had legs. So I'll go from there. I think it's a perfect idea. All right. Thank you guys all for joining us in another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Next week is our glamping episode. So be sure to come back and see us. We'll be talking with Ruben Martinez and Irene Wood and a bunch of other people who I can't think of off the top of my head who may or may not show up depending on their work schedules. But it'll be a good conversation anyway. So take care, guys. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate you. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.